0: And we're on, so here we are. This is going to be part two of our big trade breakdown. Yeah. And we're going to be discussing a lot, right? I, I know this time you came with a loaded bunch of questions for me, trying to yeah, stop me based on, <laughs> Oh, did you really? Yeah. Is I'm it a good read after this? <laughs> really? Was it a good read this time.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny when, um, so I've already read the book three times and okay. now when, you t- uh, when I decided to, you know, when you invited me for the next one, I said, mm-hmm. okay, bring a list of questions. And so yeah. I don't want to yeah. miss anything out. And so I was just going line by line, but it was a much quicker read because I have the concepts already in my head. So a few of the lines, I can just skim, skim through it.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah. I I thought that that was, like, one of the key things that I was also trying to say is, like, I don't think you should be so stuck on each line of the book. Because once you understand the core concepts, then the ultimate ideal is for you to be able to do this basically just watching, like, tick by tick or, you know, daily close by daily close. Mm-hmm. And not even have to be dependent on overthinking like what you read. I mean, that's, that's where we're going to try to get to in this basically this journey. Um, so therefore, once you, it's ingrained in your head, it's no longer even about the book. It's just about you and how you understand about various different probabilities and permutations as it relates to the market. Mm. So let's try to get there and let's, um, Actually, let try to, Also yeah,
1: interesting. Yeah. So I read this book about five or six years ago. And okay. at that time I read it, it made sense. I did the models, but I could not apply it. But now coming uh-huh. back and reading it, I've been actually been able to apply it a bit more. And okay. I think having that market experience definitely makes uh, a difference. Um, otherwise it's all theoretical.
0: Right. The analogy I tried to use last time in our conversation was to think of it like, you know, watching professional sports and understanding Mm -hmm. the statistics behind the typical performance of an athlete during a given game. And therefore, if you know that an athlete is going to score, let's say 10 or 20 baskets a game, then that defines average behavior just like oh every day this stock is going to go up or let's say every day on average uh gold is going to achieve ten dollars after it gets to three dollars once you understand that it's not even no longer even about the statistics it's about what is working at the moment and being able to observe those instances happening even setting maybe price alarms or alerts to them Mm -hmm. and then being able to execute on the trade. And then that's when all the other new variables that come in, like such as economic data points, allow you to think about like where you want to go with this position as you get closer to the close. And that's, that's kind of like what I, what I mean by this. It was never designed to basically say like, Oh, you got to keep on reading this uh, page by page verbatim, and then use every single aspect of it. It was not like that. It's about Mm. using these tools and then addressing the day by day. And I think I was just speaking to someone else earlier, like I'm noticing a lot of the stocks, a lot of the things that I'm liking right now are reaching all time highs. And Mm. that's based on the work that you put in, in months like March. And what I mean by that is like, I was also trying to say to you in that previous conversation is that if you can come in at some really interesting times in the market, and now I don't even need to look at the statistics because you've already built almost like a 30% buffer on some of these positions after a duration of only like a few weeks. So Mm -hmm. now that it's just going up, it's like, okay, why do I want to close positions in China or Alibaba, or like Netflix, or like Nvidia, or gold, or the Nasdaq. Like, you don't even need to do that anymore because what you, in this instance, let's say various different ranges or opening ranges have been superseded by just sheer uh, momentum of the stock to achieve levels of all time highs. And I think at the end of the day, like people that tell me that they're long term or value investors, congratulations to tell me that, but the whole issue is that how are you going to get into the position? And I want to be a long-term investor too with like a substantial buffer of a capital gain, which requires a little bit of technical intricacy to build that position. So if I tell you, I like, I, 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 you know, the thing is this, you're getting a lot of like sell side research Mm. and people are talking to you like an institution. And that's great. And you can continue to do that. And you can tell me that you're a long-term investor. Great. Hopefully though, the things that you're telling me that have value or are, you know, cheap, if you want to say that are going to be confirmed by price. Otherwise, you're living in this alternate universe without that bifurcation of price. And I I was just saying that earlier, and I know we're going to jump into the questions as it relates to that, but when you look at gold, gold is finally breaking nine-year highs only as of, let's say, this recording. What's so fascinating is that most of the time that I've been focused on precious metals, have been, like, early 2000s or within the last, like, year or two. Last year, I was focused heavily in it, trying to build positions. Why? Because everything else has already achieved all-time highs. And you're not going to be able to get, like, you know, massive discounts, as you've seen Mm. with 2020. In fact, you had a massive pullback. Mm. But with gold, imagine if you had just bought within – the last, like, year or two. That would have been a way that could have saved you dead money for nine years. Mm. So, therefore, there is a value and merit to this approach because all it's doing is just breaking out of range after range after range mm. in order for it to achieve these nine-year highs. But imagine if you just told me, you try to rationalize to me, And you said to me, well, there's fundamental underlining value to owning gold because the Fed's doing this and Mm -hmm. it's queuing into infinity. Mm -hmm. You're right. You're right about the fundamentals. But what I was telling you last time is you're telling me about the matter of things. You're telling me about the water molecules. I'm interested in the waves that are happening as it relates to the foundation of what it takes to create water, but I'm interested in measuring the wave because that's price. And you're telling me about, oh, there's like a lot of molecules here. That's H2O. Yeah, I get it. I get that there's fundamentals behind it. And I appreciate that. But in order for you to bring that confluence of both, you better come up with a strategy and an approach because at the end of the day, if you're a retail guy or an institution guy, you got to show relative outperformance. Mm. And I understand about value. The whole thing though is tell me about the waves because every people are very fickle in this industry and they want to see relative outperformance. And as a day trader, in your case, you need to see that because it's not going to work for you to just rationalize to me about the value of an underlining asset. Mm. So anyways, um, yeah, long diatribe. Let's dive into this first question. Why don't you describe to me what you're contemplating?
1: Um, Yeah, so one of the things uh, you mentioned in the book was that um, if the opening range is expanding, that's suggesting Mm -hmm. that it's a trending market and the market... And my, my understanding and my, uh, what I took out of that market is going to make uh, new highs, uh, let's mm-hmm. say an uptrend. Um, but as a day trader, what I have seen is that generally what happens is the market makes, uh, oh, well, the s- a stock makes its higher or, or low in the first hour of 30 minutes of or an hour. And okay. what I've seen is the, the, the larger that opening range is. The more likely a relative to its average true range over mm. say, a couple of weeks, um, mm. the larger that is, the less likely it is going to make new highs or lows going forward okay okay
0: okay so let, let's try to address I'm sorry,
1: this. just to add on that, and a, a proper okay. strategy would be to fade any kind of extreme moves
0: great understood so let's let's um take some of these concepts first and then figure out interesting ways to work with them the the very fact that you're observing that these things are happening is very interesting and therefore who knows there's a whole strategy that could be created based on that but let's talk about it from as it relates to like the content of the book so What I wanted to say first and foremost, and I know this is probably going to be something that you're going to ask me about later on it as well, is and we kind of discussed about it uh, previously. Is this idea of this arbitrary opening? You know, in the case of like U.S. markets, let's just say it's like nine thirty, or in some instances, maybe I'm interested in like the futures open, whatever, right? I think what's being said here is you're looking at a relatively volatile opening where Hmm. there's price discovery that's happening. Hmm. And then you're saying to me that, Hey, because of these, this wide range, um, you find it interesting to maybe fade, uh, some of these, these ranges and maybe you're right. Um, I don't know what you what, what's your uh, a data set like. What duration are you looking at when you made this observation?
1: Um, well, I've seen a lot of futures trader have this kind of uh, an approach. Um, okay, they see that the, if the opening ranges is quite wide, then they go into the what they call a, a balanced market. They they a sure. market with a balanced market, and they're just looking to fade moves away from some kind of average, uh, uh, like a moving average or a VWAP, And also, um, with traded stocks, I've seen that, especially if there's news, that stock will make the largest moves in the first 15 minutes, and then it just dies off and does nothing. It might just try to trend, but it comes back in, back in to um, maybe around the middle of the opening range.
0: Sure. So, so let's try to isolate this and make something that would probably work really well. So, um, ranges imply volatility. If you wanted to look at it in, um, like let's say a daily duration, or if, even if you wanted to look at it like in like the first 30 minutes, whatever it is, hopefully if we're discussing about an expansion of range, you're looking at, um, an increase in volatility to some capacity for the stock the industry or whatever you're you're interested in trading Mm. i would i would probably add one more component or one more constituent to this to to probably take away the relevance of the the gap fade is i'd be asking a question are we making higher highs relative to previous sessions now if that is happening and let's say you're looking at a duration of like settlements, which could be T plus three, or at least like three trading days at least. And you're seeing this phenomenon. I think you have the constituents right there of somewhat of an uptrend. I'm no longer talking about like, like a duration of like 30 minutes. I'm setting a criteria of wider ranges with higher highs. And therefore, if it's something you really like, let's say this is something I really like, like Netflix, for example. I really like Netflix in this environment. And I'm seeing this phenomenon happen. I could make a case to you that potentially it's continuously going higher over, you know, the next little while. And therefore... It's nice that you want to fade that and you know, there's a, a technical feature of trying to fade it and you can, I'm not saying that you can't, but I think a better case could be made in which it is actually making higher highs on consecutive uh, trading sessions. And you remember, we talked about this last time. Another fact that you want to take into this, this, this uh, question is that I would propose by saying, what is the after hours looking like and what is its contribution to these opens with range expansions and if you're noticing that these after-hour sessions are truly lifting it like basically let's just keep it simple let's say your first opening range was um the close of your opening range was let's say a buck uh on day one and on day two it's like two bucks and then on day 3 it's 3 bucks and you're noticing that like the after hours is doing a lot of the heavy lifting even if you get the fade the question is is it actually pushing it to lower lows or is it just getting back to a midpoint and it's it's great maybe you can scalp that but mm. do not you what you need to do is you need to be cognizant of the underlying trend and potentially where the easy money it's to be had. So, so that, that's, I, I, would, I would say, is it making higher highs irrespective of this, this element of wide or is it making lower lows? And I would look at the after hours contribution to these higher highs or lower lows and then think about how this is looking like over the next several trading sessions to understand the underlying trend. Now, if you're saying to me another fact that you just told me is you're saying that the high of the day is being achieved in that, like that 30 minute or like that, that, you know, that opening session, use that as an interesting data point, and then what you could do is understand that that's like, kind of like how the stock is behaving at this duration. But remember, even if it's making its high within that first 30 minutes and there's a fade to be had, the question is on that next day, is it making a higher high? And then understand the wave that you're fighting against when you're doing something like that. And perhaps I could make a case that the easy money to be had is had you just bought on day one, held to day three, you would have had all those higher highs irrespective of the fades. And then think about which one makes more sense to you so so you know different ways and variables to address the issue and hence why like our previous conversation i kind of said like wow there's a lot of low-hanging fruit in this environment and just take that into consideration right yeah okay that makes sense let's let's um get to question number two and see if we can expand on that a little bit
1: yeah, so um, one of the things you do in the book is uh, one of the statistics you say to, is to go, go grab is <clears throat> the opening price to the highest price and the lowest price, mm. taking averages of that, um, mm. and trying to determine opening ranges using that data set going forward. Mm. And it, from my experience and um, a little bit of coding that I've done on ProRealTime, to scan for different stocks. I've, what I've noticed is that the open to high and the open to low is just basically the half half of an ATR for the last 14 days or uh, whatever time frame. And does it make much sense to actually go in and do the work to calculate uh, the exact open to high and open to low ranges or the averages?
0: So, um- Elaborate more when you say half, say, say, explain that to me again.
1: So let's say if um, a stock has uh, a, an average true range of um, a dollar uh, on a daily okay. basis, and what you're trying to do is collect a lot of data in the last you know, two months of what the okay. move is from the open to the upside and to the downside. Right. Um, what I've seen is an easier way to just do that is just look at an ATR indicator and take half of that. And that's a good measurement of from the opening price, how high that stock might go or how low that stock might go.
0: Okay, sure. Understood. Okay. It's, it's nice to think of it like that. Like let's say any given day, a stock could range, let's say a dollar. That means it could either go up a full dollar or basically it could go up 50 cents and it could also go uh, down 50 cents as well, which in, yeah, from the opening. So the thing is, this is, and you're right, like you could shorthand it and you could say, well, you know, Peter, as opposed to doing something like that, why not just go by half? Right. And then understand that as a range. Cool. You could do that. I think the thing is, this is, and I I think I write about that in the book as well, is that by you knowing the precise number, or here, let's say this, by you knowing what the average range of the stock is, it allows you to say this, or it allows you to make this observation. So if truly the stock on every day is averaging, like going up 50 cents or going down 50 cents or going up a dollar or going down a dollar, It allows you to ask a more interesting question, which is what's, tell me a number that's smaller than a dollar. 80 cents. Okay. 80 cents. So then I would ask you that if the stock goes up 80 cents, what is the probability it's going to go up a dollar? Now, what you'll find out is that if the range of the stock is, let's say a dollar, the probability that it's once it's already gone up 80, to, which is to a dollar, mm. which is only a 20 cents difference, mm. it actually is very high one, once you're there, right? Like if I was to ask you, if it's gone up only 10 cents, what is the probability that it's going to go up a dollar? That's going to be much harder to obtain. So the, the wider the gap, basically, um, the lower the probability of achievement. Now, what's interesting is that there's a sweet spot that you could calculate. Understanding the historical behavior of the stock, understanding the ranges of the stock as well. So let's say you told me that, hey, Peter, I think it goes up 50 cents every day uh, at least. That's great. Mm -hmm. So prior to 50 cents, what is the lowest number it can go up by that will give you the highest probability of achieving 50 cents? So therefore, if you wanted a scalp, I could make an argument that as long as it goes up 40 cents, then that 10 cents, basically 40 to 50, right. is going to happen, like, let's say 80% of the time. That's basically right. low-hanging fruit for you. Right. So, so that's how I need you to think about not only the opening, by the way, you can think about every hour, every 30 minutes, but more importantly, just to keep it simple, you can think about mm-hmm. the open. And then you could kind of like do the inverse as, as it relates to the close. You can basically say, look, if the stock has already gone up, a dollar, when you're talking about fading, by the way, or the close, see, the close is a fade to me, by the way, because you're, you're forcing the market to meet at one price at a given time. Have you, have, I need you to think of it like that. Like the, the close is a fade off of the range of the day. Does, it, does that make sense? Like I, you could think of it like that analogy. Cause basically. Close is the
1: fade of What was that?
0: You could think of the close as a fade of the range of the day, because remember the stock has to close at one price in particularly, just like it opens from one price and it, right, then it yeah. went through this crazy volatility throughout the day at let's say four o'clock every day, it's yeah. forced to reach some kind of settlement. Yes. So I need you to think of basically opens just like you would think of closes and understand that the close has to go into a range before hmm. it can reach true price discovery. Just like the open for, creates the range and then you're given choices, right? Like, do you want to fade it? That's cool. Or do you think it's just going to continue to break out? even if it continues to break out, come four o'clock every day, it's gonna need to reach some kind of settlement. And statistically speaking, stocks will fade from the high or the low of the day come the close. Mm,
1: yes, that's right.
0: So so you, you use the strategy of the opening range, also on the close, but understand that the wideness of the range is where you need to start from in order to isolate the closing price. Comprende? Kind
1: of, yeah, yeah. I need to think on that actually and model.
0: Yes, we'll we'll be able to create models off of that. But basically that was one of the key interesting takeaways that I had further in my conversation with you last time. Was that, I mean, it sounded like you're very interested in opening ranges, and I remember I said to you this word, and you're like, what do you mean? I said, maybe we can pin the close, or you should be trying to pin the close. You're like, what's the pin? The pin is basically trying to isolate what is a high probability that the price could close at on any given day. Now, I I did this based on like triple witching that happened a few weeks ago, because there's a lot of like, derivatives and stuff like that and and that are forcing the close to be a, a certain way but then with further thought of all of this i just said wait a minute in order for you to reach the close you need to go into a range Do you get what i'm trying to say yeah and then once you're in the range of the high and low let's say of the final hour or final 30 minutes a day it then needs to go it's it's got to fade from the the range that was created at the opening 30 minutes of the close mm. you, you see what i mean it's going back in and this is actually very suitable with some of the content that i've been working on as of late which is i'm really interested at opens and closes as it relates to everything i'm interested in that as it relates to a nation or an economy, how a nation starts and then ultimately how a nation collapses. And it needs to collapse into that point of singularity. And what's fascinating in the stock market is that you have this phenomenon, you have this big bang, which we call the open, and sheer expansion. But then, you know, physicists discuss about this idea that there could be some future contraction that could happen that could lead to what they call The big crunch. Mm -hmm. And a stock market day is kind of like that. You have this the beginning and then you have this massive expansion, Mm -hmm. right? And -hmm. then boom, you're forced to that the content I've been writing about is what's called an omega point. You're forced to that singularity again. And 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 remember, by you having a beginning, an open and a close that forces one price every day then you can build ranges as it relates to the expansion and you can use these this range idea to isolate the contraction so i mean this is a little bit new content as well Mm. but the same principles apply so Mm. therefore you know we can talk about it more in the future about this But again, it needed to sink into your head. It needed to sink into my head, for goodness (laughs) sakes, in order to be able to build, because think about it, now that you think of it like this, imagine the value of all these ranges then. You're like, wow, Like we're just coming out of the open, boom, we got some expansion, and you're talking to me about fading the first 30 minutes. That's cool. You can do that. But Mm -hmm. what about fading into the close or understanding, because remember, the close is forcing one price settlement, right? Yes. And the question is that maybe we can build ranges and mm-hmm. understanding how it could uh, contract into that singularity, that big crunch, or that omega point that will ultimately create tomorrow's open as well. You know, irrespective of gaps or mm-hmm. not. But uh, very, very interesting way to be able to build that. And now if you could build that for every hour, every 30 minutes for a particular stock and understand the behaviors of that, that's what you call an edge.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's another amazing analogy.
0: Never let's, uh, yeah, let's, let's jump to that next question. Again, a lot of these things we're going to tackle in further uh, depth and maybe discuss about some calculations um, to be able to really refine it. But I think that that Right there is a massive gem that yeah. I've never heard anywhere else.
1: No, me neither. And I've read a lot. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the, the next one I think is yeah, it's a great it's a great segue. Um, so in the book you have one of these charts where you're showing the number of times um, mm. the difference between the high and the opening price, and yeah. you split it up. Um, you basically bucketed up that range by point, yeah. points and um, yeah. you've, you've done this cumulative distribution of the, of the open to high ranges. And yeah. uh, well, one thing, I, I don't know how you built that uh, in Excel. Um, I know how to okay. do part of that, but I don't know how you did the cumulative uh, probability, but more importantly, how how does knowing the cumulative prob- probability actually help? Um, because my understanding, okay, so y- you know that if it moves 0.2 points, it's going to move um, another 0.2 points to, or another 0.4 points to 0.6 points. But it could also move um, another 0.6 points down before it moves mm-hmm. 4 points up. So your risk mm-hmm. is not that great to take a trade like that. So how does it actually mm.
0: help you in your trading? Sure. Okay, so there's a few things here. Is, we, we discussed about earlier, and maybe it might not, like, you know, l- let me just tell you how, like, I kind of, like, address this now. Is, we talked about this example earlier, is, like, basically, if a stock goes up 80 cents, what's the probability it can go up a buck? Yeah, and I yeah. kind of indicated to you that that could be high um, versus if it goes up 10 cents, what's the probability it can go up a buck? Maybe that probability is a little bit lower. And somewhere in between is a nice risk reward, by the way, right? There's some. There's a sweet spot. There's like, let's say there's going to be every time it goes up 60 cents, there's, there's, there's going to be like, let's say um, 75% chance that will go up a buck. So that's like a nice 40 cents to be made on every given day. And I think when you're thinking about um, doing these probabilities, I I think there's two major takeaways and then we'll discuss about the calculation. The first takeaway is this, if you understand that throughout a trading day that it could go up a buck, you don't know exactly when it will go up a buck, like you said, because there's gonna be wild swings, but you understand that there's a high probability that it will go up a buck. Therefore, this idea of ranges uh, transcend that of time. It's no longer about the 30 minutes. Now, you could, I'm not saying you can't get the data for the 30 minutes. I'm sure it's there too. But in the case of, I guess, something like this, let's say, just say that you're like the average guy where you can only get data from like Yahoo Finance or something like that, all you have is daily data. And you're trying to build some kind of like scalp based on the daily data. So the unfortunate thing is I only have like the high open, high, low and close. Those are my data points. Typically, therefore, mm-hmm. as long as I know what, like, you know, what, like the average high is what the average low is, and then be able to understand, like, let's say the average high is a buck again is then like, I know that there's got to be a lot of prices that it's got to touch before it can reach a buck. Mm. And I asked you to name one, you said 80. So then boom, that's going to be a destination point. So how about this? Let's just say like, if you're trying to understand like cumulative ranges, this is kind of in essence, what I'm trying to say is basically, you're looking at going from point A to reach point B. And what are the probabilities there? And if you want, you could probably write a graph of that. It could be in terms of like how much sense the stock is moving, or you could even convert it to like percentage. Like, you know, um, wow. if the stock on average goes up 5% every day, then what is the probability that, um, it could go 5% if it's uh, gone up already 2% and you could work it out like that. So percentages or, you know, sense. Um, They're all in the same thing, basically. And then what you want to do is just understand the underlining behavior. And I would be less dependent on time, understanding that the duration that you're looking at, let's say with the retail data that you have, could be just strictly like daily data. And therefore, understand that maybe it's not going to work for you in that first 30 minutes that it, it didn't reach that dollar. And maybe you understand that because you're looking at daily data uh, you shouldn't have to put the gun to your head to force that first 30 minutes it could probably be throughout the day and then like you said is the question is like when does this likely happen and that's when you have to then isolate the data down further but i I just try to keep things simple by looking at the daily data um which i already think is a short enough time frame um because You know at the end of the day like you're you're doing what you can with the resources that you have and then you're just trying to hope for that that probability to play out and if you do know that it doesn't happen after the opening session then you can develop your own risk reward analysis for it Mm -hmm. so that's that's just kind of like how i think of it don't confuse the percentages with like the dollar points they're all in the same thing the key thing is understanding what does it take or what's the probability that it can reach a destination so basically if um joe gets on Times square what is the probability he will go to starbucks so as as long as i know that joe is like let's say a starbucks advocate uh or addict then Every time he puts his foot on Times Square, I know that wow, like every time that Joe goes onto Times Square, he's gonna get a Starbucks there for his little walk after. So th- that's an edge. And then that creates your your historical data set. And then therefore you can understand that boom, like if he's taking, if he walks like two blocks onto um Times Square, that the probability of you walking into that. Uh, Starbucks has actually increased dramatically, so that's that's that 's how you want to look at it
1: yeah, so then how do you make sure you don 't get caught in a trend where all the statistics don 't really matter because it 's making new high after new high that 's more than its average range. How do you avoid a situation like that or a new low or a new low? How do you avoid buying into that,
0: for example? Yeah, I I think that that leads to that first question that we talked about was the sense of the trends, the overarching trend within the next several trading sessions is really predicated on if it's making higher highs or lower lows. And if it's doing that for you to fade the higher high or for you to buy the lower low or faded i guess you could use fade on both sides Mm -hmm. you're going up against the wave and i'm not saying that you shouldn't do that if you're interested in collecting like five cents that's great and i'm making the argument though that there's probably a lot more to be had by going along with the trend. i don't want to sound cliche and say the trend is your friend Mm -hmm. i'm more interested in how do we isolate that and i think that that Understanding of like the average true range, its expansion, or let, let's rephrase that by saying average true high or average true low. So, therefore, that's your true assessment of higher highs or lower lows. You probably don't want to be involved in anything that's consolidating too much, like this famous Aussie trader that basically uh, is drawing wedges all day and we're just sitting there watching paint dry <laughs> while everything else is breaking out. You, you don't want to be like that, actually. Um, is it true that you're not going to uh, lose your shirt? Yes. Um, the issue, though, is that if you do understand the ranges, perhaps an expansion in higher average true highs or average true lows really work in your favor. It really starts to uh, decipher, like, are you on the right side? And then... Um, mm. Or even if you're wrong, you're happy to be wrong because if it just started to tank and you were able to close out earlier, it's you've just saved yourself a lot of time too so um yeah, just uh, a good way to think about it mm. I, I basically, I would suggest is you should find something that you like and then understand if it's making higher highs and then see the opportunities of going long it um, as opposed to like you know uh, if i was if i understood that it was making higher highs i would probably consider longing at the top end of the range for further breakout and expansion and then use the top end of the range as your stop loss does that make sense yeah so, so let's say let's let's say every day the stock is going up a dollar and down a dollar and you're noticing that it's making higher highs hmm. so i would use that dollar the top end as the stage in which I'd actually considered going long, as opposed to starting from the open price and then oh. being in a range consolidation. That's how you get the breakout. You're sometimes it's better right. to buy things higher as it's starting to demonstrate that the investment or the trading thesis is working. So, so that's why I, if you take a look at my Twitter feed, you'll see it like. Sometimes I'll buy things a little bit earlier and then there's a little bit of a pull back to the midpoint of the range, mm. uh, but it hasn't broken out lower, so you didn't lose your shirt, mm. but then it got, comes back up and it, then over the next several trading sessions, it continues to break out of the range.
1: But I mean, and, be specific, yeah. which range are you talking about? So there's the, intra- the,
0: the intraday opening range, or even like the weekly. Remember the the trick. What I was saying to you last time in our last conversation is my objective as of late is to get. Um, you want to break all different time frame opening ranges, or you want to break all different time frame ranges. Yeah, that's basically a stock that's yeah. going up in, in a nutshell, right? Like. We just talked about gold earlier. Like it's finally breaking out of like a nine year range, basically, right? And in order for it to have gotten there, it needed to break out the daily ranges. It needed to break out like the weekly, the monthly, 2020, 2019, things like that needed to develop. And that's what I meant by sometimes even like buying something. So I've been buying like NASDAQ for like, you know, the last several weeks, several months it's actually quite boring now because I don't need to do anything as it's breaking out of range after range after range. I don't need to worry about it. I just let it, let it ride, you know? And, and then if there's like pullbacks um, the question is to what extent is the pullback is the pullback just to the midpoint and the midpoint to what time range. And therefore like, is that something that I'd be interested in in purchasing in order to for it to continue to break out of different, time dimensions, and ranges. That's how you start to build a position. And again, what's so fascinating is the institutional community of like fundamental investors, they they cannot accept that this is actually a vastly superior approach, even if they're wrong about the rationalization for their thesis, of a particular company because if what i'm saying is correct that will reflect the truth of what they're saying what they're saying again i've been trying to say it is what they're saying is just the underlining molecules of what's happening
2: mm, i'm talking
0: mm. about the waves is it really doing that and that's what we're in observation for so long story short i'm pretty certain that this is the approach that people need to be taking in order to achieve relative outperformance irrespective of the purpose in why you're trying to buy the stock, and stop trying to base it off of causality uh, like you know, stop trying to rationalize your causality to me about the fact that oh, this stock is cheap when the whole at the end of the day suddenly you're trying to indicate to me that It's strictly because of that reason that this stock is finally making higher highs. I find that very difficult to believe. Um, It's interesting to be aware of. Okay. And we can use that. We can use those as like catalysts. I'm interested in time catalysts, but what I'm, what I'm more interested in is to understand that time ranges are breaking out uh, dailies, weeklies, monthlies, quarterlies, annuals, in order to really, Achieve all-time highs and have it supersede that, all strictly based off of something that could have looked like a scalp just to begin with.
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, when I was on the sales side and in broking, um, I would always talk about the molecules because it's easy to spin a story to get clients. It's a story, exactly.
0: It's the narrative. Whereas this narrative that I'm telling you doesn't sound. You're, you can't build a CNBC segment off of that. You yeah. can't write newsletters based off of that. But remember, like when we're watching, let's, let's not talk about finance news. Let's just talk about news in general. When has news actually ever really been valuable? And then you have this new term in the lexicon about fake news. So the <laughs> whole point is like, when has listening to any kind of news really merited a lot of value to begin with? So you're hearing narrative and that's great, right? Like, I mean, if you want to listen to it, by all means, but I'm interested in understanding if the narrative can shift into price action that can create the foundations and the pillar of a great investment. So therefore, I will never be wrong if I make an investment. So then if I buy Netflix and it's just going up, it's making all time highs. And then people are like, Peter, why is it that you bought Netflix? I'm like, oh, well, it's in streaming. The user count rate is, is uh, increasing. Downloads all over the world is actually increasing. Their pipeline of content is actually increasing and it only costs them, let's say, um, their, their, their margins once they release their content could achieve like, let's say 70% gross margins. I can discuss about that. But there's no foundation to that if the stock isn't exactly going your way. Now, you can see here, well, I'm contrarian. The whole issue is that can the contrarian answer when there's going to be the confluence of price? Because you can be a contrarian for like 20, 30, 50, 60 years. And unfortunately, humans, uh, according to the news, aren't able to live that long. So the whole point is that we need to be able to find a great general theory that combines both. And I think that that's something that has been achieved by this. So, so remember, that's why I'm addressing your questions. Like, well, what about the fades in in the opening range? You're right. That can happen. And I'm saying to you, wait a minute though, it's making higher highs. Perhaps there's a catalyst behind it. Perhaps you can formulate an investment or a massive nice swing trade or at least understand of what's happening in order for you to scalp it appropriately. So that, that, or what I was saying to you last time, which is pick a few things you like, create a core position of it and then trade it around that core position. Mm. All, all things that are, um, up for grabs. For example, I cannot imagine shorting NVIDIA throughout this whole duration. Um, of most of 2020, and even if there was an opportunity for it to go down 20 cents or a dollar or five bucks, I I can't see that because I'm seeing it make higher highs. I'm seeing it gap up higher. I see the fades that are happening, but I also understand you're fading at higher price points. So therefore, I'm like, ah man, let's just only look for opportunities along it then, until the narrative. Or the thesis changes otherwise, which would then be confirmed by lower lows.
1: Yes. Yeah, you don't wanna go against that big wave.
0: That's, yeah, it's quite uh, tricky. And then you'll hate yourself because it's like, what am I doing? I just got the 10 cents off of something that is like going like gangbusters in the market. What the heck am I trying to do? Like, what are you really trying to fight? And Mm. I would make the argument that the average guy is not built. like um renaissance technologies to be able to capture that i'm not saying that we shouldn't understand what's happening and not try to build that and by all means like there's a lot of great opportunities in that element as well but i think that the key if the key objective is to make money to be able to break even and supersede that i think that this is a much more sound approach as you continue to optimize um, ways in which you can scalp right I, mm. I would be much more happy for you to have a core position and then uh, maybe collect income and then consider scalping because you understand the behavior the nuance and the narrative of the underlining asset that you are trading slash investing in much more valuable to you yeah that sounds much better actually
1: I mean, there have been heaps of stocks where um, I would not like to, sh- I would not like to ever short it as a long-term position. But intraday, I see something and I'll short it. But then, I'll right. see, you know, next couple of weeks um, make all-time highs. I mean, afterpay was the best example. Um, I think I made a- the most money going short, but I could have made even more money just going long from eight bucks, and now it's trading at seventy-three bucks.
0: Exact. Wow. That's incredible. So you're right. Like a story like that, you need to then understand, like, as opposed to fading the highs, think about the pullbacks as opportunities to buy the dips.
1: And keep adding to your position.
0: Yes, perhaps. Yes. You, I'm not saying don't take profits off your scalps, right? Maybe you could leave like 50% of that capital as just like the long position, and use the outstanding 50% of that cap. Let's say you want to allocate, let's say a thousand bucks into a position, put 500 around the core position and use the other 500 to trade around that. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, that is a much more um, effective approach. You'll The 500 bucks that you have all the long, once you've identified higher highs with the good narrative that the news or the sell side is touting about, or basically institutional buying is happening, that should basically sort of even hedge um as you continue to optimize or refine the way that you're scalping off of that position
1: yeah yeah makes sense
0: and Um. remember i talked to you last time i was saying to you like using this approach you ultimately can build yourself to capture 10 baggers even off of scalping and I, I, mm. I adamantly believe that, as, especially based on everything that I've been doing and seeing as of this year.
1: Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot more sense now that we're talking how it, mm. how it could possibly be done. I, yep. A bit more light in that regard.
0: Yep. Again, we're going to continue to optimize and refine this. If this is new to you, this is new to the listener, and therefore... <laughs> This is going to be a, a fascinating uh, journey. So let, let's let's jump to that next question.
1: Yeah. Um, so this question, uh, I've read this one line, I think four times, mm. five or mm. more. Tried mm-hmm. drawing out all the different scenarios, trying to understand what you were trying to say. And I think okay. years ago, I should have just reached out to you instead of trying to figure it out. Um. So in yeah. that book, uh, you you have these tables where you just, you show the statistics for uh the probability of um a stock's previous day high being breached so that okay the stock makes another makes a higher high or yep. the stock, um makes a lower low and breaks that okay. is low and then you show yep. statistics okay. where if the previous day's is low is broken the previous day's high is not going to be broken with a 80 plus percentage chance and then uh, you, yes um, outside days where the previous day high and the previous day low is broken, and then there's inside days where neither is broken. And yeah. then you also have the averages from the open to the high, et cetera. One of the lines you had in the book was, um, and, I'll, and I'll quote, is that based on this table, uh, and I quote, you say, moreover, if the stock opens outside of the previous day's range, there is a high probability that it will reverse during the day for some very easy money to grab. Mm.
0: Right, right. You're talking about a, basically a fade. So so let's describe what's happening in this position. You effectively achieved your higher high, right? You're, you know, you made a new high. So this is kind of like thematic to what we've been talking about today, which is it's demonstrating in this instance, um, a trend an upward trend because it's basically higher highs, right? Mm. Now, remember, the the relevance of understanding about the difference between an inside day and an outside day is because the higher high has been achieved, the possibility of a lower low being achieved as well is much lower. Yes. And remember the fact that it's already disregarded the fact that it's going to be an inside day. It's not an inside day. It's already a higher high, Mm. um, already refutes that too. So then Mm. you're stuck with what's interesting, which is a range. And the range is more than likely to be this. The range is more than likely to be obviously the new high that's been established. Okay. Mm. And you need to be cognizant of that because. If price is insistent on a continuous breakout, um, Superseding the range of the open of that day, then stay out right? like just let it do what it needs to do because it's just want to make more higher highs, right? Mm. But there is a possibility that more than likely once that higher high is achieved, and this is the gap fill that a lot of people talk about is that more than likely it could pull back the The one downside to this approach though is that the range of the pullback is already established because it's unlikely to go lower than yesterday's low. Do do you get what I'm trying to say? There's a chance that it will go down and it could be a very high chance. And it maybe it can go right back to some kind of like midpoint, right? That's Mm -hmm. cool. But there's also a very high chance that it's unlikely to break yesterday's low. And therefore, that's how you define your range. Because if you're looking for the scalp, understand what's bizarre in this instance is that the upside sounds unlimited, as in the upside of the stock. But if you're trying to scalp it, you're trying to fade it, remember that implies that your risk, in theory, is unlimited. Obviously, you got to close it. But what I'm saying is that this thing could continue to go up for the rest of the day. And yeah, Yeah. theoretically go up. But then you're down, you're, your true gain is actually not really that attractive. It, I mean, it can be, you, you're, it's, it could be even high probability, but understand the statistics that you're dealing with, right? Understand what your maximum, because sometimes you can get lucky, right? You could just buy something on a breakout and it's just going higher highs, higher highs. That, mm. That's how I'm trying to achieve these like, you know, 10 baggers that I was trying to talk to you about last time. And this time, um, that's how just sheer breakouts, right? And, you know, I have no say now if the NASDAQ is making a higher high. I don't really care even. It's just doing it and you're just like riding it and you don't have to do anything. You didn't spend a lot of time uh, scalping it. And like you said, perhaps I would have been more frustrated if I just scalped it way too much because there's just every day, it could go up at like a few hundred points and you didn't have to do anything. And that's what I meant by saying like, we needed like, baby these positions right like as it continues to make higher highs think of Mm -hmm. it as like you know a growing kid you know and he's able to fend for himself as opposed to (laughs) you having to look out for him every day so so yes you can fade it and what you need to do is check the probabilities but I think one interesting thing to understand is that your your upside uh for you to fade it and then to hope that it's going to make lower lows is I would probably make that argument that you're being a little bit overzealous, especially after you look at the statistics. So just be aware of it. You can mm-hmm. capture those, um, you know, pips or, or cents, right? But mm-hmm. I, you can also just use it as an understanding on how, like, how markets work, basically, and understand that's a feature. Perhaps that's the opportunity mm-hmm. to buy again.
1: Yeah, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Um, I think this question we've covered previously. Um, sure let's jump
0: to the next one then
1: oh yeah okay um all right let's see yeah again i mean this question is uh in the book where you have this probability calculator for apple and um you take the log of the probability and um you're saying here you're trying to find the probability of each successive move if yeah moves by 10 cents? Sure. And so you have from 0 to 10 cents a probability of 95% and then from 10 cents to 20 cents you have Yeah. 5%, 20 yeah. 30 cents 97% and then 30 cents to 40 cents you have 100%. Sure. I understand sure. Understand how you did those calculations and how is it that the probability is increasing and how you you had these charts where you showed these distributions yeah i just i didn't really understand or i don't know how to construct them and really i'm just do the calculations as well i don't really understand it
0: okay yeah let, let's let's just try to simplify it. it is basically when you're constructing like something like this um again i'm going with the assumption that people only have access to like daily data basically or keep, let's keep it simple always try to achieve something with what's available for free because remember if the objective as a trader investor or whatever is that you need to basically carry on this Bloomberg terminal everywhere you go in order to achieve the edge. I -hmm. think that that's a a high cost for operations, basically. It's not to say that there's not utility to that, but I think then it implies that you've never really entrenched what it is that is your edge inside of you in order to be able to do something. So to address something like Apple, let's take Apple, for example. Um, Number one is, we talked about this before is like what's the range of apple on any given day so let's say the range of apple is like let's say it ranges like three dollars or five dollars let's say five dollars hmm. then if you know that it can range like five bucks let's say on the upside or five bucks on the downside so that's actually a total range of like ten dollars in move um what you can do is this is as opposed to thinking about time you think about it like by prices. So what I did in this instance is I I did $1, $2, $3, $4, $5. And those are the various different price points that need to be achieved in order for it to reach that destination of $5. And therefore, um, remember, this is strictly off daily data. But now I've broken down price as it relates to daily data, which should, probably correspond with what's happening in time intervals as well, but less important. I'm more interested in price activity as I am about uh, time intervals. Time is, I I heard this great expression. It's like, you know, it doesn't matter what time frame chart you're looking. It's basically compressed data. And the, the true argument is actually tick data is what's the only real piece of information because everything else is compressed. Mm. If I did a 45 minute chart, what the hell does that mean? Right. You're just compressing Mm. the data. So anyways, price is what matters in this instance. And it's like destination points to something that's, that's what matters. And as I said to you is like, what I would do is I would understand that the, the range is like five bucks and I would work out the probabilities and statistics that if it goes up three, what is the probability it's going to go up five? If it goes up one, what is the probability it's going to go up five? So imagine you're trading Apple and it opens up a dollar. That's great. And I know, let's say I have whatever, um, 60% chance it's going to go up five bucks. Then it goes up two bucks and it's like, wow, this is like some really good range it's trying to achieve post uh, the open or the midpoint. And then my probabilities get higher. So as Mm. it successfully gets higher within what's normal behavior, as Joe gets onto Times Square, and he starts walking a few blocks, the probability increases for him to achieve getting to Starbucks, or in this case, achieve to getting the $5 that's let's just keep it simple and that's how you want to think of it and again Mm. the more important thing is that this is irrespective of time frame and it's more about what the stock will do in a given day and i'm more interested or at least the data is free for me to break down what could happen throughout the day and it becomes a very nice edge Yeah. And so that's that's why sometimes when you talk to me about 30 minutes I get it. I I understand what's happening, but I, what I'm saying is like okay, but then what you if you're going to talk to me about time frames, then you need to work out the edge for each time frame. And not to say that that can't be done, the issue is that not everyone has that data. And then I'm trying to make it simple for everyone. So then mm. let's just talk about how it can move throughout the day and and then if we want to, you know, once we felt like we have a true mastery of that, then we can talk about how we want to move every 30 minutes and then build the ranges around that duration. Do you see what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I, and I also kind of understand now where if it's breaking out of its open to high range based on statistics, um, there could be on a weekly basis where it's now um, still within.
0: Breaking. Yes, within or breaking out. You're right. Yeah. And,
1: and it's increasing your odds on the weekly, and then it's increasing your odds.
0: Exactly. So it's, like it's like a wave
1: where, where the ripple effect's happening.
0: Yes. The wave, as the wave gets bigger, it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. That's what people call yeah. a trend. But understand mm. that your probabilities are getting better and better and better mm. in order to achieve it and you can see it in the options market like basically it's it's becoming more in the money if if that's like a form of
2: a terminology
0: mm. that people can understand as mm. something gets closer to a price point that you desire it actually becomes in the options market in the money it's more expensive to buy that options contract because they understand that the time versus the price point that you're trying to achieve is actually more likely to happen based on a probability distribution and therefore uh, you're increasing your odds. So you're right. Like, that's, that's what I mean is like, that's how you build a 10 bagger. Every successive move that is following this trend, which you're getting the data from is increasing your possibilities of breaking out of greater price ranges. So say you, you take now, Um, Yahoo Finance weekly data or monthly data and understand, wow, like this $5 move in Apple is now only, let's say, $10 away from the weekly range. And since it ended up uh, closing up, let's say, $6, let's see how this starts to develop for the rest of the week. Is there any interesting news that's happening? Or is there any economic data I should be cognizant about? If not, Therefore, let's take that $6 and see if we can achieve that destination of, let's say, $15 based on the typical um, range for the stock in the weekly duration. And then if it's like Thursday or something, and now it's up like $20, you're asking yourself that question is like, okay, so what's like the monthly range of this? Oh, geez, it's only like $25, and I'm already up 20 bucks. Let's see how Monday opens. The following week, and just see, oh man, like how it's getting there. And each time that happens, notice you're doing less work, and it's actually doing more work for you, as opposed to you scalping ten cents and basically sweating and worrying about some minute move, which you know can be valid. And by the way, we can we can build fantastic. Everything I'm telling you can be used in different time frames. eh? But I'm just trying to work this out for kind of like the audience in which people are trying to build portfolios. There's mm. that audience. And then there's mm. people that are trying to trade or there's people that are trying to swing trade. And mm. I, I think, again, I think this is kind of like the best of all worlds. So yes, I'm glad that you've had that revelation about how the 10 bagger is achieved based on higher highs, but not just saying higher highs, understanding the mathematics exactly. behind it that will lead to that. Yes. So there you go.
1: And so on on that, so how how are you selecting your stocks? Like why do you, you know NVIDIA and Netflix, are you doing like a thematic thing and then selecting a stock and then running all the stats and downloading the data and doing the stats? Or do you have kind of screener for certain things that you look for and then you have that watch list set up and then you set up your Excel sheets for those stocks there?
0: That's a great question. There's two ways you can do it, right? And basically you describe the two ways in doing it. I, what I noticed for me is, okay, so I have an institutional background, and then I, I also have this understanding as like basically a prop trader perspective.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think what allows me the comfort in holding overnight is understanding the theme confirmed by price but understanding the theme confirmed by price and you know what's weird is like i look at these guys that are doing things strictly like technical analysis and then i see how they're using screeners which is great and then if let's say they isolate something that has like the perfect position about XYZ stock that no one's ever heard of, and then they take it, you cannot tell me that you have the same level of conviction, because you're going to be presented with that question, like, oh, man, like, where do I go with this? Should, is, should I buy it? Like, like, how can I feel comfortable in it making higher highs, even though all the data's there? And you're right, you could absolutely trade it, and you can do very well about it. Uh, the the question though is I don't think that the ten bagger is going to be achieved that way. Um, I think that even and even if you were to trade it, you better start to understand and build an edge around this position in in some capacity. Like either you're going to understand the trading dynamics, the statistics of it intensely, um, or you're going to understand like a theme. So so I'm just sharing with you from my experiences. Like basically, the um, the screener approach adds a lot of scale the issue mm. is that obviously there's a lot of data points i think there's some good ones like um um i think it's called like FinWiz or something like that yeah, you could use that's an american you could use one. yeah it's an american one you could probably use things to start to see like you know you could do some kind of screens i'd be looking for screens on breakouts rather than consolidation um mm. But then, then again, you, you hope that it's something that, you know, Uh, I'll give you an example. One of the things that fascinates me is like, I like to play this game with many of my friends, like most of the major S and P stocks, if someone names a ticker, more Mm -hmm. than likely I know what company it is. Mm -hmm. And I was always amazed when I watched guys like Kramer and then he would do like basically where people just call in and just ask him about stocks Mm -hmm. and then Like when I was a kid and I watched that, I was like, wow, that's pretty impressive. Even if his calls are like only like 50-50, the very (laughs) fact that he has some information about them is impressive. And then I thought to myself like, hey, the truth is it's not that many tickers. You might as well get really familiar with them. And then therefore I built a lot of comfort around like the Dow, uh, S&P 500 um, and NASDAQ tickers. So therefore like, you know, I almost I memorize most of the tickers. And therefore, at least you know what the story is. And then if there's like enhancements and catalysts to that story of let's say Google or Apple or whatever, Mm -hmm. then you can start to think about like, okay, I know the company. I got this amazing edge with all my statistics. How do I amalgamate that all together? So in the case of like Apple, even though that was referenced in 2012, In the case of Apple, like right now, what I'd be thinking about is like, wow, Buffett has a massive position. The stock is like massive market capitalization.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Where are we at in terms of the market? What does Apple's like pipeline uh, seem to have? I guess the iPhone 12 is coming out as well. Um, You know, are there any major like new uh, WWDC things going on? I take a look at its like corporate calendar. Um, things like that. I guess people are also talking about like uh, store openings and closings as far as its retail front is concerned. That, that just adds to this whole picture. I'd look at Berkshire Hathaway stock because they their biggest uh, listed position is probably Apple now.
1: Uh, I think that totality. is good value,
2: actually.
1: Huh? I think there's good value in Berkshire Hathaway stock because the only mm-hmm. reason that stock is down is they have a lot of exposure to financials and insurance but this whole news stories about Buffett and Munger, you know, losing their touch. I think that's over. right.
0: Uh, perhaps, perhaps. Um, I was impressed by his um, purchase of this Nat Gas play. I think there's a lot of opportunities to be had with Nat Gas as opposed to oil at this time, too. In fact, mm. in my portfolio of the article that was posted uh, a few weeks ago i mean i i I think I put like a majority of it was like nat gas, and then there was speculation in oil, so I think he um that that argument if he lost touch or not um i'm gonna say no based on his recent acquisition um but his field of vision for a person that has been Notorious for saying that I only invest in things that I know is reflective of what could work in the 50s all the way up to the 2000s. But actually, from a thematic level, and I put my money where my mouth is, yeah. is that we understand that technology is truly what's driving our economy whether people like it, love it, or hate it. And Mm. one of the pieces that I have, the most recent one that I wrote about and that I'm going to probably release again is about the fact that the things that are going up are things that are not part of the real economy. And, but it is the actual economy, which is things like fiat money, which you can't see uh, to the extent of the numbers that are being printed out, you only hold the paper money in circulation, which is much smaller, but by no means reflective of the story of an implosion of debt, which has now finally fueled something like gold, although I would make an argument for all this QE, for gold to only be up where it's at is actually underperforming, relative to that of technology companies, which have done extremely well, achieving all-time highs um, throughout this whole duration. And this confirms to me, by when you look at things like this lockdown and what's segmented as essential, essential is basically um, minimum wage, Um, the middle class is non-essential, And then the technocrats, either in Silicon Valley or the central bankers, are essential in terms of inflating this invisible economy, which Ray Kurzweil refers to as the singularity. That's that's a key word again, Mm. um, as it relates to this merging of humanity and technology together. But what I also understand this as is kind of like reaching the end game of where we could be headed towards in terms of Western civilization, which is basically further centralization, um, the the exacerbation of technology uh, as you can see. Why do you think China is so interested in technology? And why is it such a big initiative? Because it actually, allows them further centralization a consolidation that's why there's so much heat against this social credit score and the technology that's behind that to basically shift um you know these views of the old world which is much more authoritarian onto more freer markets and this this whole confluence is happening now under technology and basically fake money printing, um, all that's being shown to grow in the stock market, while you have basically a lot of people revolting that are fighting in this material and tangible world uh, mm. for what little scraps remain. And that's why I've been trying to say to you that the key issue of our time is the understanding and reading of waves as opposed to being the guy that understands the molecules. The guy that understands the molecules is using his sensory perception, very similar to what the scientists are doing in building out all these models to forecast climate and like, you know, viruses and outbreaks and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. what they're only able to read, but they can't read the wave. And unfortunately, right now, what's going to take this economy to that next level, and it's happening as we speak, is the wave that no one can see, the technology wave, the fiat money wave. Those are the two biggest waves that are happening that are allowing corporate America to basically stay at highly inflated rates that is causing all the frustration of our time hence that's the theme by the way going back to your your stock screen versus thematic i base it on a theme which i built by understanding the beginning the middle and the ends just like the open versus mm-hmm. the close what is the open of um you know western civilization what does the close look like where are we at there how do we achieve that through singularity, not because I like it, be strictly because I'm reading the waves and all signs indicate that this theme is not only important to your portfolio, but it's important to basically all of humanity and what's happening right now. And there's a lot of money to be made while some people are protesting, I wrote this, you should probably put the same level of passion and conviction towards buying the NASDAQ as far as salvation is concerned for yourself.
1: Mm. And aren't you long the US dollar as well? Or? Yes,
0: yes, yes. I, I, I think this is what's so fascinating about the US dollar is that when you study um, the open and the close of anything, right? Like in this case, a country, let's say you wanna study the open and the close and the highs and the lows of, of <laughs> yeah. the United States, What's fascinating is that the close will still have an open. And what I mean by that is that irrespective to whatever happens in the United States, when I look at the history of things, like you see the pound still exists, right? That used to be the world reserve currency. What holds weight, um, it doesn't imply that it's going to make higher highs, but what holds weight implying that it will not collapse entirely is things that have always been status as reserve. And basically right now, even if the United States goes through all these protectionist activities, that doesn't matter because basically during this COVID and lockdown period, they've entrenched the global economy with more what? More US dollar. Yeah. So, so, so when I think about China, a lot of people talk to me about the 100 years of humiliation. And it's true, like these things happen. But one thing I know, and I, I find this fascinating when you look at the issues that are happening in the world today, is that people have no sense of like history, hence why people are really frustrated and burning down all the statues. But I'll tell you one piece of history that's so vital is that in the 15th century, China electively and a lot of Asia electively chose to close off from the world. That is, that is something that is well-known and well-documented, and it was a choice. Now, what's fascinating is that as they did so, they didn't leave some kind of like reserve currency as a power for the rest of the world to have to come to them It only so happens that a few hundred years later, you have British naval vessels that appear on their shores with vastly superior technology, having not closed down and having appropriately entrenched the global economy. Hence why they were able to defeat the Chinese and then proceed to create this century of humiliation that China is now trying to fight back to recuperate, although it was a choice to have closed down. And one of the massive flaws to do so is that you're not really commingling with the world. You're not really trading with the world, but more importantly, not competing with the world as
2: well.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But what's interesting is that you see this protectionism that's happening in the United States. But again, you can do that because you have the thing that everyone is dependent on, which is the U.S. dollar. That's the difference. So when I look at the, this, this story and how this is going to play out, what if the United States says, we want all our jobs back, and by the way, we're going to close out the rest of the world? Well, you know what? everyone's borrowing U.S. dollar, and it's a thing that's keeping the world uh, go around. It, does it imply that you're going to see a new Pax America? Not necessarily, but it does ensure that they're going to have staying power irrespective if they choose to close or not. And that's something that no one can do to change for the time being. Um, but what you'll clearly see is further centralization for all states Predicated on technology, leading to again what even like futurists and technology people aspire to achieve, which is some form of singularity, but I think of it and what they mean by that is like the merging of humans and technology,
2: mm-hmm. but I
0: understand it more, which is basically the convergence of like everything right and and that everything is centralization, technology, humanity, and that's basically where we're headed. And you can see that as the NASDAQ is making all-time highs relative to things like, I think like Apple and Amazon are already like 50% bigger than the Russell uh, mm. 2000, which is basically a, a barometer of small to medium enterprises. This is mm. happening and it's happening fast. Um, so it's a very interesting time. But again, one if one had this knowledge, one could be truly depressed and then want to revolt and then start some kind of like movement and cool like you could try to do that but what i understand it is like okay look i'm just this individual i have a background in finance the best thing i can do is capture these trends and waves and then be able to protect myself or to be able to finance movements that allow me to do that and that's exactly what george Soros did so as opposed again as opposed to disapproving of what Soros is doing, which some people say that he's attempting to like, you know, fiddle and commingle Mm. with all these things. That's interesting. Or look at what Bill Gates is doing or what even Buffett's doing with his charity. Mm. That's fine. So what does that indicate to me? Oh, there's a lot that you can make from the market. And therefore, if you have a positive cause, that's probably the best way that you're going to be able to finance that. And in the case of Soros, he basically speculated on the crash of the pound. He took that AUM, uh, achieved personal wealth for himself, and then now he's off to able to finance all these crazy endeavors. For example, same with Bill Gates, which basically made most of his money from the stock market of Microsoft. That's how we should rationally try to address these things. And the things that I see in the world that are happening right now is not that. And the, the unfortunate thing is that because they just don't understand about markets, and I'm not saying it's pretty, but I'm saying that you got to be a pragmatist towards addressing this um, and you can get some real things done.
2: Mm. That's a
1: lot of food for thought in there. So yeah. Do you see the US ever um, losing its dominance? Um, people have been talking about it for the last, I don't know, 10, 20, 10 years, definitely after the crisis, the financial crisis.
0: Yeah, like like I said, is like what was fascinating about the lockdown is that they they're it depends on how you want to measure this barometer of dominance. If if the question is in sheer military might and strength, they're ten times more powerful than every other country. And what's fascinating is that if you're gonna refer to someone as a warmonger, you gotta understand, like imagine you have like the strength of Mr. Universe peak of Arnold Schwarzenegger and imagine that you wouldn't even hurt like a fly. If you think about the extent of power that the United States has had over like let's say uh, post-World War II, their Mm -hmm. sheer might relative to the damage that they cause is much more smaller than inferior powers that have actually caused much more damage Um, Mm -hmm. uh, be it like the soviet union and like the cultural revolution in china Mm. in which like a hundred million people died i i actually asked a statistic to people which is basically since inception since the open how many lives have been lost by the united states in total and i would make the case if you include everything even if you include civil wars and everything Mm. nowhere does it even achieve anything to the sheer amount of what, like, say, for example, China or the Soviets have achieved. So anyways, I just wanted to give a context about the sheer military might. As, mm-hmm. as it relates to the financial might, again, this U.S. dollar, again, I think that makes up about, what, 70% of global trade. Yeah. In, you cannot detach, just like you see how the United Kingdom is still around, and, and they have the, the sheer audacity just to say, hey, let's uh, Brexit out of here, um, they're still around. And what I'm trying to say to you is that no one has ever entrenched the global economic system as successfully as the United States with its reserve currency, basically being the backbone of the system that we call, say, capitalism. And, and as a result how can you have one without the other? Even if one is becoming weaker, I don't even know how you want to define that. If you want to define it by having, what, more debt? Well, it's the world reserve currency. And what they're demonstrating is through MMT, they're able just to print. And there's no ramifications because, trust me, if you're in China and someone said, hey, I have a stack of US dollars, they will take it. If you're in anywhere... In many places, if you're in um, Bangladesh, in airport, for example. In airport. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So until that stops, which it won't, um, hmm. it's hard to see how, and, and again, like basically, they just opened their discount window um, to, to every, all the Western powers during this period of time. China is not able to do that. Like, basically, the United States bailed out countries like Australia, Canada, uh, the United Kingdom. China didn't really do something like that. They just don't have, they don't have a currency that people want to use. So, mm-hmm. therefore, perhaps people need to think about this new Cold War that's happening similarly to what you saw with the Soviet Union. And at many times, even within the last like, what, like 50, 60, 80 years, there have been close threats to this idea, but uh, of basically like the decline of the United States. We just haven't seen that. And I would make the argument that the, the best that people are doing, which they're trying to implement, is to try to infiltrate the minds, right? And that's why mm. you're seeing this culture war that kind of exists. But this isn't the first, um, and it won't be the last. The, the, the whole, whole issue though is that I, I've come, as a Canadian, I, I've almost come to understand the United States as basically something like a model that is, is sheer, like it's, its constitution is sheer brilliance in a sense that it just says like, hey, uh, I'm not gonna try to enslave you and therefore you're going to be like free but with freedom there comes fear and when you study things like even the exodus for example in which basically the story goes it's like um people came to free jews from you know the authoritarian egyptian rulers well the idea was that you know when people were set free um, not all of them just like walked into the space of nowhere. Some of them just came back because they were like, hey, at least here I'm guaranteed my bread and mm. I'm guaranteed water, even if I have to build pyramids and mo- monuments. So right. there's, there's a lot of variability when you bring in this element of liberty and freedom. And the truth is most human beings, they're not self-responsible to exhibits um, personal freedom. And therefore they always, for example, I'll give you one, one story as it relates to the markets. When George Bush basically allowed um, for deregulation in the financial markets, it allowed people to have greater buying power. Imagine if I told you um, that, hey, your, your um, brokerage account, I'm going to give you basically 10 times more leverage. Now you might say to me, yo, Peter, that's fantastic uh, because now I know how to trade opening ranges and I, I know how to, like, manage my risk. The issue is that not everyone might be like you. And then there's some guy, like, on Robinhood that gets access to, let's say, um, a million bucks and he loses it all. That just creates a catalyst. And then he writes a suicide note in, in saying, like, you know, I wish I didn't have this buying power glitch. Um, that just creates a catalyst for further regulation. So th- this is really an issue about humanity, right? Like for people that were hurt by um, the subprime crisis, man, if you told me I had the ability to buy houses at 0% down and, you know, I have to bear the brunt of the, you know, a potential setback in, in the real estate markets, you know, I would say to you thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to secure some assets for my future as opposed to basically saying oh I I purchased this I don't know how and now basically the market's gone down and basically no regulators were there to help me one one scenario that I just provided for you was for someone with the right knowledge and wisdom they could have basically built a foundation for themselves And then for everyone else that doesn't know what they're doing, then basically they express their grievances for further Mm. regulation. But then for the guy like you that now wants to ask for a margin, he might not be able to get that because too many people lost their shirts. But Mm. the truth is many of those people shouldn't have been doing it. And then if you understand that the regulation is actually just stopping you from an upstart. I'm not talking about the elite here, right? I'm talking about an upstart because you need these windows open. And every day that I see that goes by for the aspiring upstart that wants to create um, his own Panama tax-free haven, well, mm. he might not be able to do so now because basically people are expressing their grievances towards that. And I've always felt like, if you're gonna try to make it in this world, you should, as opposed to being disgruntled about what the elites are doing, And protesting Mm -hmm. and trying to tear down statues, what you need to do is understand what they're doing, replicate that, and try to basically do the best that you can. Although regulation is gonna make that next to impossible for anyone to build an offshore haven that allows them to open a brokerage account that gets them 10x margin in order for them to implement the big trade strategies and then build off thematic themes. And that's just so tragic. For the people that have the ability to manage um, that level of flexibility and freedom because of the issues that everyone else got themselves into so that that's how that's why i see that to be unfortunate because this is the window for you to try to basically get on to the other side as part of this wealth divide that's happening in the world but as a byproduct of all these grievances, you're just closing your opportunity, and now you're just going to basically completely eradicate any possibility you have of escaping the rat race or the middle class, for example, for, for people. And, and that's just um, truly unfortunate, actually.
1: Yeah, a, a good analogy is um, I read this article in New York Times. It's called In Battle, Hunches Prove to be Valuable. and uh-huh it's interesting that the best perform, not performing, but the best military leaders are those who have, who perceive themselves as predator and not prey. And, you know, one's life on the line and thinking like a victim would certainly cloud the ability to think with clarity. You need to have that mentality where, um, you know, I'm here, I'm, I'm, I need to get things done. And um, these are what, my constraints are these are what my resources are and i have to make do with what i have i can't have right and play the victim card here
0: yeah that see the that word like victim card it now it's become almost even like a a trigger for people to get frustrated when they hear that because it sounds like you're mocking the individual i i think it it really boils down to this and maybe because i'm from a multi uh cultural place like canada i honestly I will look at you in how you want to present yourself to me. So if you want to present yourself to me as, let's say, a victim or every single possible stereotype of what your typical nationality would present, it's so hard for me to detach that um, of the stereotypes if you want to be the living, walking personification of that. And, you know, let's say you're from Bangladesh. It doesn't matter to me where you're from. We're talking Mm. about opening ranges and higher highs, okay? Like, maybe people where you're from don't talk like that. But what I'm saying to you is this. And if the people where you're from don't talk like that, and then what? So you're interested in conforming to how your people Um, what subjects your people want to talk about. Therefore, are you not a living stereotype? And and therefore, if you play the victim card because you cite the fact that there might be people that could be racist, for example, it's just because you're the living stereotype of that. Mm. Do you get what I'm trying to say? I've come to understand it as basically people present themselves how they wanna be. And you wanna look up, like I look up to so many different peoples of so many different nationalities, but I don't look up to them because of their nationality. I look up to them based on their achievement. And I look at them based on their achievement. I just sent you a link about a certain individual that wants to become president. And I admire that individual for doing that. And I think, wow, like he is a genius. And I look at people in the field of science of different nationalities. I like, go, "Wow, like that person wrote that equation. that is fascinating it It really doesn't matter and I yeah. think what what's happening though is that the the threshold for greatness is is getting harder and harder, and therefore, then, like you said is that they what they do is they go to the fallback mode of what the stereotypes are, mm-hmm. and it kind of just hurts everything because Yes, there are stereotypes. People understand things in groups and clusters, which is unfortunate. But it's it's part of our um, how our minds are to to cluster things into group. But what we need to be is the outliers, and and that le- just goes back to what I was saying is like, you know, you if you want to be you want to improve yourself, understand what these people that you're supposed to be frustrated about are doing, and then trust me when you speak to them, they'll be more than happy to at least have some kind of respect with you and that's what i've learned Mm -hmm. when i've done this like podcast i'm talking to nobel prize winners and uh politicians and presidential candidates and you know uh people that are well known in the finance industry i don't think ever in any instance have we ever discussed about what typecast that person is what what gender that person is that's never in the equation and Mm. I find that so interesting maybe maybe this is a bubble I have no idea but when I when I'm hiring or when I'm talking about ideas I only think about like what you're able to do and can you do it and if you can't do it and then if you try to use a fallback of some kind of like victim mentality towards that I think you've created like your own imaginary glass ceiling because I'm not like that. I'm actually super pragmatic. The key question though, is, are you able to take, you know, these perspectives that I have on finance and then take that to the next level? Because obviously I have a lot of interesting perspectives and I want to build a team of people that can help me to do that irrespective of what your background is. It doesn't matter. The key thing though, is that maybe though, that if this benchmark is that much more high, um, that less people are able to do it. But in no ways was ever any kind of glass ceiling ever created. I think if you're a business person and a pragmatist, you just have to think about what is the greatest ROI and how you Yes, can you hear me? Yeah, 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 sorry, you cut off at the end. Okay, I, no, just taking a breather. <laughs>
2: okay,
1: yeah, I mean, this, this has quite for quite some time and uh, I still have a few questions there, but I think we'll have to leave it for the next time. We need to
0: leave that for the, the final part of the trilogy, that's why. <laughs> yeah, and you, you just want to finish on your last thought? Yeah, okay, so just like my last thought is that I think it's, I'm more interested, more than ever, in creating a general universal theory of investing and trading. And it is an amalgamation of themes, narratives. That's one part of it, like what we've kind of just discussed about. And then using things like what I've indicated in the big trade to be able to build a position. Because even if you like the stock, that's great. How are you going to build the position around it? And It is the confluence of both that truly create a superior form of trading and investing. And I hope that the reader and the listener starts to mix those two because it creates something extremely powerful. And this is the best way to address the divergence between price and value of an asset. And throughout the next... Hopefully in the final end of the trilogy, we're going to talk more about that and the calculations and obviously I'm going to share more themes for us to trade and invest around. So thank you very much. Great. Thanks a lot, Peter. That
2: was very insightful.